Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. The rest of you can open your Bibles, please, to the book of Romans, chapter 15. Romans 15. There are Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you, so if you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab one of those Bibles and turn to page 553. It will help you if you have a Bible in your lap, because we spend a lot of time looking at uh, the Scriptures as the sermons are proclaimed here at New Life. We're going through Romans just a little bit at a time, and nearing the end of Romans here as we're getting close to finishing up chapter 15. There's only 16 chapters in Romans, and today we're looking at verses 8 through 21 in Romans chapter 15. I want to start this morning by asking you a question. Have you ever gotten to a point in your spiritual life where you have just felt like all the joy in your spiritual life had been drained away? Have you ever just felt spiritually dry, bored with God, bored with the Word, bored with Jesus, little enthusiasm in your spiritual life. Just feel like you're going through the motions in your spiritual life. Have you ever been there? (laughs) I've been there. And I'm guessing a lot of you have too. And maybe some of you are there right now. Why does that kind of thing happen? Well, there's a number of, of reasons why. For some of us, we're dealing with various personal struggles. There's just challenges and trials and difficulties in our lives, and we're discouraged. For some of us, we're in kind of a wilderness period. Sometimes God leads us into the wilderness and His presence just seems to be kind of distant from us and we lose a sense of joy. But here's another possibility. One reason why you might be lacking joy or excitement in your spiritual life is because a passion for evangelism is not there in your heart. The the task of sharing the gospel with others has vanished in your life. You can't even think of the last time that you shared your faith with somebody. You can't even think of the last time when you set your heart or set your mind on somebody in your life and thought, you know what, i got to share the gospel with that person sometime. But it's even harder to think of the last time you actually were used by the grace of God to lead somebody to faith in Jesus. Maybe that's why you're feeling spiritually dry. You, you show me a person who's evangelizing, sharing his or her faith on a regular basis, and I will show you a person who's not feeling spiritually dry. <laughs> now we have the question of what comes first. Sometimes people evangelize because they're feeling spiritually vibrant, but I would suggest also as we engage in the task of evangelism that God joins with us in that and gives us a new joy and a new excitement in our faith. And that's kind of what Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 15. Paul is reviewing, looking back upon his ministry, 10 years of preaching the gospel through three missionary journeys, and he's talking about and detailing the joy, the great joy and excitement that he's experienced in the task of evangelism in his own ministry. And we can see this in particular in this passage by the frequent mention of the word Gentiles. 
for the Gentiles. The Gentiles were those who were outside of God's covenant community. They were those who would be considered you know, unbelievers. They were the unchurched at the time. They were not part of the Jewish nation and the covenant community. And that word Gentiles shows up eight times in this passage from verse 8 through 21. And what Paul is doing is he's reflecting back upon his ministry. And the point that he makes here, at least in part of the passage, is this. He says, if I would want to highlight one thing about my ministry over these 10 years, it wouldn't be the fact that I was used by God to write a big portion of the New Testament, which is a great thing and certainly true of Paul, but that's not really what he's working on here. He doesn't point out the revelations that he received from God. Although that is a great thing also, something God or that Paul could have pointed out. But what he points out here is the joy that he received in being used by God to reach the Gentiles, the unchurched, the unbeliever with the gospel. And this is what thrills Paul's soul and the joy that he has experienced comes through this. So let's read this passage, verses 8 through 21 in chapter 15. If you please stand for the reading of God's word. Romans 15, starting with verse 8, Paul says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. Again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, <clears throat> all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Lord, we call on you to send your spirit to open our hearts and minds to behold wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Three things that I want to show you here about where Paul finds this joy 
in evangelism, in taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And the first has to do with this, the purposes of God. It's that Paul finds his efforts to evangelize and share the gospel with others to be completely in line with God's eternal purposes. So let's look at verses 8 and 9 at the start of the passage. Here's what Paul says, verse 8. He says, I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. Now that's referring to the Jews. Sometimes the Bible refers to the Gentiles as uncircumcised. So the circumcised are the Jews. He says to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. So in the Old Testament, there were certain promises that God spoke to the patriarchs, covenant promises that God made about what he was going to do for the Jews, for God's people. And those covenant promises were fulfilled in the coming of Jesus as the Messiah. And so what Paul is saying here is that the, G that the Messiah has come in Jesus, and so those promises that God made to the patriarchs through the covenants have been fulfilled in the coming of Christ. But then in verse 9, he goes on, and he says that's, that's not all that God had in mind in his redemptive plan. He says, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So it, it seems like what Paul is saying here is that God made these specific promises to the Jews through the, covenant, through the covenants, and the natural question that might be asked is, well, does that mean that the Gentiles, non-Jews, the unchurched, the irreligious, the unbeliever, does that mean they're all out of luck? That they don't have an opportunity to benefit from God's grace? And the answer is no, it doesn't mean that. And it's because of God's mercy. In order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. What we learn here is that God is on a mission to save his covenant people, but also on a mission to show his compassion and mercy to the whole world. And he proves that. Paul proves this by now citing four passages from the Old Testament, right in a row, that all say basically the same thing, that God has always had a heart of mercy for the unbeliever, for the unchurched, for the Gentile. So in verse 9, he quotes um, 2 Samuel 22, I will praise you among the Gentiles. And in verse 10, he quotes Deuteronomy 32, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. The Gentiles will be included among the people of God. Verse 11, he quotes Psalm 117, which was our call to worship this morning. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. And in verse 12, he quotes Isaiah 11. The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. Interesting here, we have a, um, a, a reference from the historical books in the Old Testament, a reference from the law, a reference from the Psalms, and a reference from a prophet. And Paul is saying the whole Old Testament from start to finish has this common theme running through it, and that is that God wants the Gentiles to be saved. God wants unbelievers to know Jesus God is on mission. And we see the way this is going to happen where Paul notes in verse 12 the way, the means by which this will happen. The root of Jesse will come. That's a prophecy of the coming of Jesus. And Jesus has fulfilled that. And he who arises, that Messiah, will rule the Gentiles. And in him, in Jesus, 
the fulfillment of the root of Jesse, all the Gentiles will have hope. So here's this major thrust running through the Bible, this God who loves the world. A guy named Christopher Wright <clears throat> says it like this, the message is crystal clear, through the cross of Christ, those who were out are now in. Those who were far off are now near. Those who are excluded belong. That's the wideness of God's mercy. That's, that's a picture of His grace. His heart always open to those on the outside, always looking to bring, to bring the, the unbeliever in. This has always been God's purpose. And when a church loses sight of this, when a church forgets this, when a church goes astray from this, that church has gone astray from the very purpose for which it exists. When a church loses a heart for evangelism, the church has lost a sense of why it's here. Tom Rainer, this guy writes a lot about church planning, says this, when evangelism dies as a priority in the church, the church has already begun to die. So what do you think? Are we an evangelistic church? Do we have a heart for evangelism? Or are we beginning to die? A guy named Ted Powers, who is the head of church planning in the Midwest for our denomination, and, and he has said this many times, he says, Nowhere in the Midwest is there a place where more than 15% of the population attends church. Nowhere in the Midwest. 85% of people in the Midwest, you know, generally the area of the country that we consider to be kind of Bible-believing and fairly conservative, 85% of people don't go to church. How does that strike you? I mean, does that do anything to your heart when you hear that? Does that increase in your heart a little bit of an impulse for evangelism? Do you see how central this purpose is in God's redemptive plan? Are we in line with God's purposes? Or are we just interested in serving our own purposes? It's a challenge I think we get here in these first few verses in Romans 15. The purposes of God have always been and always will be to be a God on mission. The second thing we see here is something about the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. How is it that these Gentiles are going to be reached? We're going to look at the second half of the passage, verses um, 14 to 21 now. But if you look in the middle here, we see... Um, in verse 18, that Paul is talking about how God has used him to bring Gentiles to obedience. So he's talking about reaching the Gentiles. And then in verse 19, he talks about the way this happens. It's through a certain power. He talks about the power of signs and wonders and by the power of the Spirit of God. So we know about the power of the Spirit of God joining with our evangelistic efforts to change hearts and bring people to saving faith. But... He also talks about this power of signs and wonders. So, what is that? Um, you might know that in Paul's ministry, there was given to him a special power to do miraculous things, and that happened with the disciples also. I mean, there were uh, healings and miracles produced, and that's what 
Paul is saying here that as he was preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, these signs and wonders accompanied that witness so that people would come to faith in Jesus. And so we might ask, well, I mean, is that what we should expect? Is that the kind of power that we should long for as we evangelize and take the gospel to people? Should we be performing miracles and uh, raising people from the dead and healing the sick? Now, certainly God does those things, no question. He has the power to do those things. He continues to do those things throughout the world. But just to keep this in context, I think what Paul has in mind here is um, signs and wonders that were conducted or that happened for a very specific purpose. We get a clue about this here in 2 Corinthians 12. And this is Paul again. And he says, he says, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. So what this tells us is that the presence of signs and wonders in Paul's ministry had a very specific purpose, and that was to authenticate who Paul was as an apostle to the Gentiles. He says that um, earlier in verse 16, talks about the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. You might remember um, when Jesus met Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, and Paul was blinded, he came to faith in Jesus, but one thing that Jesus said is, this man is going to be my chosen instrument to carry my name to the Gentiles. So God had a very specific purpose for Paul as an apostle, and he authenticated that by giving him the power to do signs and wonders. So that as Paul performed those, people would say, wow, something really extraordinary and unique is happening, I better listen to this guy. So, again, I'm not saying that signs and wonders never happen, but I wouldn't expect them to happen in the same degree of frequency that they happen with Paul. Don't be discouraged by that, friends, because we have a power at our disposal that's greater than signs and wonders. It's the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does it say in Romans 1? Do you remember? At the start of this whole study, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Power is not found, friends, in, in us or our ability to articulate the gospel, our persuasive abilities, our brilliance to defend every accusation against the faith, our charismatic personality. That's not where the power of God is found. It's found in the message. It's found in the gospel. It's found in the message of Jesus Christ crucified, shedding blood for sinners, risen from the dead, so that any who would trust in him would be forgiven and have eternal life. Through faith alone, by grace alone, there's power in that message. And power is accessible to you as you are willing to share that message and speak it to people. That there's something freeing about this, knowing that evangelism is not an opportunity for you to show off how good you are. Evangelism is an opportunity for God to show off how good he is, how great he is, how powerful he is, and how he can change lives through the gospel. And again, on verse 18, Paul even says this. He says, I won't venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. It's what Jesus is doing through the gospel as it is declared to Gentiles, unbelievers, to those outside the church. I have an example of this in my own life here recently. Um, 
that Mary and I have been conducting Christianity Explored classes for a time, and um, we've always wanted our uh, neighbor to come to one of these classes, and we've asked them many times, but they've declined. Well, during the last class, finally, our neighbor agreed to come. And, um, and, and by the way, just so you know, not only do I have permission to tell this story, but she told me to tell you this. It was her idea. She said, I want you to tell your congregation about this. So um, she came to Christianity Explored and uh, went through most of the class. And there's an opportunity at the end of the class for the participants to indicate, you know, how they responded and what they thought about it. And she indicated, she said, you know, before the class, I believed in God, but I didn't believe in Jesus. But now, as a result of going through this, I know who Jesus is, I know what it is to follow him, and I have put my trust in him. So, you know, we were just thrilled with that. And we had some trouble getting in touch with her after that, but um, <clears throat> recently her father became ill, elderly man, and um, <clears throat> was hospitalized. And this was a man who had no spiritual belief at all, according to my neighbor, he thought that life was just like a candle, and when you die, it's just like blowing out the candle, and, and that's it, and it's all over. But when she went into the, the hospital room where her father was, um, and this was just a few weeks before his death, he was very emotional, and he was crying. And he asked, what, what's the matter? And he was wanting somebody to pray for him. And so my neighbor said, you know, certainly we can do this. And, and so then my neighbor began to share with him some of the things that she had learned in the Christianity Explored class. She said, you know, we've been going through the book of Mark. And she said, here's, here's something that was new to me. And, and here's what I want to tell you, Dad. She said, Jesus came not for people who think they're good, but for people who know they're bad. And this man apparently had lived most of his life thinking he was just too bad to be saved. And when he heard that, she said his eyes just came alive and he just got filled with joy and said, you, it's that easy, he said? I can just trust Jesus? It's that easy? And she said, yeah, it's just that easy. And so my neighbor left with hope that the day is going to come when she is going to see her father again. Again, he passed away just last week and just a few weeks after this conversation. Um, that, friends, is the power of the gospel. <laughs> I had little to nothing to do with that. I didn't even, actually, in this case, I didn't even invite her to the class. <laughs> it was somebody else from this church, and I didn't check with her if I could say this, so I won't say her name, but it was someone else from this church who invited my neighbor to my house. <laughs> for this class, and I just went through the curriculum, and the power of the gospel took root in her heart, changed her life, and changed her father's life. So, if you're looking for a way, I mean, as just a practical suggestion for you, you've already heard about Christianity Explored, if you're looking for a way to evangelize, you're not really sure what to say, and you're a little insecure about that, here's an easy way for you to do it. Find somebody in your life who is not a Christian, maybe asking some questions about the faith, and invite them to come along to Christianity Explored. Just ask them to come. Starts this Thursday night. And come with them. If you would come with them for the first at least couple of classes, you don't have to commit yourself to all seven weeks. 
maybe just the first couple of weeks, come with them so that they're comfortable and they know where to go. And uh, it's the power of the gospel does in their lives. If you're interested, there's a sign-up sheet out in the Welcome Center. You can sign up. And again, that's this Thursday night at Mary's of My House starting at, at 6.30. So that's the power of the gospel. Uh, last thing, <clears throat> the planting of churches is another way that the joy of evangelism was real and evident in Paul's life. So um, <clears throat> let me explain this to you by, by telling you who, what, and how, okay? Um, who? Who is it that Paul was primarily seeking to reach? Okay, we know it's the Gentiles, but he says it at the end of the passage in, in kind of a different way. In verse 20, he says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But, that, but as it is written, those who've never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. It's like what Paul had in mind here was reaching people who were on the outskirts of gospel reach. Now, of course, we think of distant lands where the gospel hasn't even reached yet, and that certainly would apply, but you know, I don't think any longer we can assume that everybody, even in Muncie, Yorktown, Indiana, has really heard the gospel. And what Paul wants to happen here is not to see this kind of recirculation of believers going from one church to another. What Paul wants to see is those who have never heard receiving the gospel and coming into the church from the outside. Heart was for them. So that's who he wanted to reach, those who've never heard. What, though, that's the next thing. What is it that Paul wanted to see happen in their lives? And this is kind of a clarifying point. If you look at verse 18, again, <laughs> it's my favorite part of this passage, verse 18. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring what? The Gentiles to obedience, he says. Now, you'd expect him to say, to bring the Gentiles to faith, and knowing the rest of Romans, we know that that's what Paul means. <laughs> Paul knows that salvation is only by faith in Jesus. It's not by our obedience. It's by grace we've been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. Paul understands that. He's not saying that he wants to bring Gentiles to the point where they can obey to be saved. But I think he is saying that what he wants are, are real conversions, genuine changes, sincere transformations, where people come to faith in Christ and begin to live a different life. That's what Paul has in mind. He's not looking for just people checking a box on a response card or having some kind of internal emotional experience for just a fleeting moment or just coming down the aisle and answering an altar call one day and then going back to their old life. That's not what Paul has in mind. When he talks about sharing the gospel, he wants to see transform lives. He wants to see marriages put back together. He wants to see people begin to get sacrificial in a radical way with their generosity. He wants to see people committed to sexual purity. He wants to see obedience people. That's what he's after. But then lastly, how? Who? He's reaching those who've never heard. What? He wants them to come to an obedient life, and how? Well, if you look at verse 19, Paul says, it's by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, now look what he says, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry 
of the gospel of Christ. <clears throat> I think what Paul means there is he's saying from Jerusalem to Illyricum. In other words, he's talking about like two bookends of his entire ministry. Three missionary journeys over the course of 10 years. Started in Jerusalem, ended in Illyricum, and everything in between. It's like saying from Boston to L.A. In a full sweep of my ministry. And he says he's fulfilled that between these two towns. Now, what was he doing between those towns? In the book of Acts, you see a number of different cities mentioned as Paul goes from place to place. What was he doing in all those cities? Preaching the gospel? For sure. Making disciples? Yes. But you know what else he was doing? He's planting churches. Acts 14.23, Titus chapter 1. It says Paul set up elders in every city. He didn't just preach the gospel and get some kind of individual conversion and then off he went to the next place. He set up churches because he expected that those who came to faith in Christ through his ministry would then take up residence in a local congregation. Paul was a church planter at heart. And there's something I think really encouraging for us as I'm sure Many of you maybe are just feeling a little nervous about evangelism and, oh, you mean i got to go talk to my neighbor, i got to knock on doors and tell them they're going to hell? Is that what you're saying? Don't think of evangelism as just this little individual responsibility that you have detached from your brothers and sisters. Paul planted churches, and he planted churches that planted other churches. In other words, evangelism can take on a kind of a community aspect. We can do this together, friends, a community as a church, as a body, you're not in it alone. And one of the ways we at New Life are seeking to fulfill and enjoy evangelism and align with the purposes of God and see the power of the gospel is by planting churches. This is our evangelistic effort as a local congregation. We're not in this alone. So when you come and you serve here, <clears throat> on Sunday mornings and you serve during the week and you give of your money to this place, there is a sense in which you are contributing to the task of evangelism. Now, that doesn't excuse you from opening your mouth and talking to others about Jesus as God allows. But not all of us are apostles like Paul and not all of us are church planners like Josh. If you're a Christian, you're a part of a congregation and as the body of believers called to faith in Christ we are called to multiply, to make more churches, and to see the kingdom go forward. Think of yourself as you come here on Sunday mornings, not as just an individual sitting in a chair. Think of yourself as part of a movement. We want to see as a movement of the kingdom that gains steam and multiplies throughout East Central Indiana so the people hear the gospel and are brought into participation in local churches. We just happen to have today uh, with us a man named Tim Kirk. Tim, would you please stand for a moment? Tim um, was pastor at Christ Community in Carmel, Indiana, pastor there for many years. He planted that church. How many years ago? 26 years. <clears throat> um, recently just ended his ministry there so that he could take a position in our presbytery as director of church planting. Um, and at Christ Community in Carmel, that church planted four other churches. Um, and Tim has been used by God as kind of the key instrument to get a movement of church planning going 
here in central Indiana. And we want to be part of that. We want to see that kind of thing happen here in east central Indiana. 85% of people are not in church. There's a lot of work to do. A lot of churches to be planted. The reason Tim is here is because he's talking, was talking during the Sunday school hour to our church plant. Um, through Josh, who was up here a few moments ago, he's our church planting apprentice. He's gathering a group of people. And by the grace of God, he has about 70 people interested in taking part in this church plant. Those 70 are not coming from new life, so don't get nervous. About 20 of them, about 20 of them, adults and children, um, are going to take part from, from new life. Um, so, you know, we're going to lose some people. It's for a good purpose, for a good reason. And that means we need more of you to step up, and we need more people to come to fill those holes. But this is what God has called us to do. And uh, I would encourage you to spend some time talking to Tim after the service. He would love to tell you more about what he's doing with our presbytery. The presbytery is just a group of churches in our denomination in central Indiana. Um, I'd love to talk with you about that. I know that Josh is looking for prayer help. He's got a sign-up sheet at the Welcome Center. Um, He's trying to get somebody signed up to pray and even fast for the church plant every day for like the next year. And by the way, the church plant is scheduled to begin to officially launch sometime next year. So Josh and the the 20 people will be here for a a while. Um, But they can sure use your prayers. If you sign up for that, uh, Josh will send you a reminder so you can know specifically uh, what to pray for. And I have a little article that I've written that's on the Welcome Center there about church planting if you're interested uh, more in this. So... um, Evangelism is a joyful thing. It's, it, it, is a, it is a unique way to experience the grace and blessing of God. And if, if you're spiritually dry now, commit yourself to seeking others for the gospel. And, uh, and that will change. change. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that not that we have to evangelize, but that we get to. You, you give us the honor and privilege of joining with you in the greatest thing that's happening in all the world, the gathering of your people by faith in Jesus into your church. We praise you for that and ask that you bless the church plant and bless this congregation and make us a people passionate to share the gospel with others. In Jesus' name we pray.